Talk Radio 191FM podcast. Right now I'm joined by Professor Nancy Longnecker from the Centre of Science Communication. Morena to you, Professor. Kia ora. How are we today? Wonderful, thank you. That is marvellous. That is absolutely marvellous. Right. You are giving a, a seminar as part of the Department of Pathology seminar series. Um, you started your life uh, in science as an, agricult- an agricultural science. Yes. Um, doing your master's and PhD looking in uh, iron uptake and, and whatnot in uh, <laughs> soybeans and sunflowers. You have done your uh, research. At Cornell. <laughs> yes. Fancy. That's archival history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first I've had from Cornell. I've had I think maybe about three or four people from Cornell on the show. It is a lovely place to study. I've always Ithaca looks As nice. Oh, Tapoti, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's um, I haven't been back there in probably ten or so years, and when I did go back, I thought, oh, of course, things keep growing, keep changing. But, yeah. mm, mm. It um, actually Ithaca reminds me a lot of Dunedin in some respects because it's a gorgeous small college town, yeah. university town with um, beautiful natural surroundings. There's a couple of universities in Ithaca, am I right? There are two. Ith- yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like here, Cornell. there's two um, tertiary institutions. In Ithaca. Yeah, that's mm. right. Cornell and then Ithaca University, if I'm correct. Ithaca College. Ithaca, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what drove you from the farm to the classroom as it is? It is well, my transition um, did not happen overnight. I was a an education coordinator in a research center. Um, as part of my academic role, I ran workshops on multivariate statistical analysis, you know, all kind of, <laughs> and, and, and science writing and a few other things that were a bit more up my sleeve these days. Yeah. And I, over the space of years, I realized that all the projects, all the grants I was getting had more to do with people than with plants, although I love plants. Yeah. Um, I was enjoying uh, the public workshop we worked on genetic manipulation genetic modification mm-hmm. so there we did public workshops we did all kind of things um and my uh, probably what sealed it for me was um producing a cookbook oh wow so we we <laughs> were the center for legumes in mediterranean agriculture clima <laughs> <laughs> for short and we and so i was tasked with the role of making chickpeas and lentils sexy to a metro to metropolitan audiences yeah because i was in australia as you would know and i mm. um you know australia has the myth of the outback and the, this rural air um people but of course like new zealand most people in australia live in a city yes, and right. are pretty far removed from agricultural production so we we were trying to get people to have a, a bit better idea of the science behind agriculture, that so, that agriculture isn't all about r- riding a tractor around, although that's fun, yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. riding around a paddock. So um, so we opted for a cookbook as a way because most people are interested in food. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, you've got to talk about what you've got to put in the land in terms of, you know, in New Zealand, our grass, not, our land wasn't necessarily suited to the sort of things we wanted to grow, so you've got to manipulate the land with nitrates and whatnot. Well, that's, an, that's a soapbox I could get off on because I am in plant nutrition and putting nitrate on pastures to overproduce dairy is something that I could wax lyrical about, yeah, but that's probably not the topic for today. Now we should be spraying manure everywhere, that's the key. Well, there's a bit too much of that as uh, well. Well, if, there is, there is. If, if we want to improve our 
the quality of our fresh water and, and streams. But, yeah, okay, that's a, a tangent. Yeah, I, I, let's go. No. Uh, <laughs> Wheel me back in. <laughs> All right. Um, now, uh, you here at the University of Otago have your own lab. Uh, it's the Long Nicker Lab. What is it? What do you do? <laughs> we do all kind of wonderful things. We work a lot with um, museums. Uh, we have a project. One of our PhD students is looking at the new developed Tuhura, the um, science center, mm-hmm. to look at uh, impact and effectiveness and what, how do kids, people of all ages, learn um, there. We have people who are working with the National Science Museum in Thailand and um, out of Bangkok. Yeah. So, so we do a lot of work with informal science education. So, getting science out to people, not necessarily in in a formal way through a classroom setting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it comes to science and kids and getting kids engaged, I mean, how do you get them? You know, past the the bang, the pop, the slimes, things like that. You know, I mean, the the things that capture their imagination because it's not all going to be. A lot yeah. of science is not exciting. Yeah, uh, yeah. The process of it, yeah, that's that's fair enough. But kids, kids, in a way, are the easy ones because yeah. ki- we're we're all born um, as natural scientists. We're all. What curious. I mean is, how do you keep them? How do you keep them? If I had an easy answer to that. Um, well, yeah, I do go around talking to people about this, actually, come to think of I was going to say I'd be on a circuit. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it is not, there is not an easy answer to that, not yeah. surprisingly. So a lot of it comes down to how, we're, how, we are, how we perceive ourselves. Do we perceive ourselves as the science nerd? Do we, what's our, identi- our personal identity? Or do mm. we perceive ourselves as the arty, you know? And, and to make science more inclusive, is I believe the key to that, and not have it be an exclusive realm for only these this group of people, yeah. because it's actually not. But it's one of the great arguments against um, scientific evidence <laughs> is you know the whole um, academics are above everybody, and that is you know you know they're out of touch. <laughs> Oh, heaven forbid. <laughs> no, I don't know anyone like that, do you? <laughs> no, well, we do have our share of people on one end of a spectrum in academia, but um, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think historically, well, not historically, historically there was a lot of work of academics going out doing public lectures. It was kind of part of the job in the 1800s mm. um, and into the 19, earlier 1900s, but then it became, oh, that's a, you know, this concept that uh, talking to the public is a waste of time. You should be in the lab doing your, your stuff, doing real science, yeah, you yeah. know. And and so one of the things that I'm going to talk about in the seminar on on Friday is how actually talking to the public and that's that's a loaded term which is not particularly it's not my favorite but I haven't come up with anything better but talking to the public about your work is actually um, useful in a lot of ways it it helps identify questions that really matter mm-hmm. um, yep. it helps identify uh, research that is going to be of use to people and that can then be taken up which increases your impact which is one of the things that we all like to do research that is actually going to matter and have an impact with people um, it can actually help you get funding uh, yes, <laughs> which is uh, which is always a bit of a hook for um, a lot of academics. Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen R and D money shrink and shrink and shrink in terms of government funding, and that's where you get big corporates coming in and 
into universities putting their money in and then all of a sudden they've got whatever there's thing an comes agenda out the, yeah they've, they've got whatever comes out the other end and then it costs me and you hundreds of thousands of dollars to get cured of anything and things so like would that, we rather know? pay it through them <laughs> or would we rather pay our taxes and let the government yeah, exactly exactly but if you can't effectively get things across and have people understand why it's important then they're not going they're going to say why are we wasting money on r&d when we can be putting it into uh, other 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 places a, a stadium or something yeah, I mean, there's yeah. All, well there's always lots of, i mean a government is yeah, I, I don't envy them. They're they're always weighing things up. Yeah, but that's because they've got a three-year term. You know, I mean, everything's so short-sighted where science is long-term. Science right? doesn't work that way. No. no. Research of any kind doesn't work that way. It's a long-term um, endeavor. Indeed mm. <laughs> it is. I mean, and of course, um, well, f before I get on to... Uh, one argument, uh, climate change. Um, you know, you're looking at evidence base to determine. You are looking at evidence base to determine impact and effectiveness of science engagement. Yeah. Now, science is hard for the layman to um, to understand. A lot of it is. It's that you look at some things and it's just mumbo jumbo to a lot of people. So, how do you? You've got to simplify it. So, how do you do that to get its full impact? I'll I look at Hawkins' um, A Brief History of Time. <laughs> like a classic example. It's a, that's apparently a book that's on a lot more bookshelves than it has readers. Yeah. <laughs> I've read it twice. Well done. Tell us about it. <laughs> no, um, okay, to get to, get to your question. Okay, so what, what your question is, how do you simplify? How do you get... I think that... Um, one of the problems for us as scientists, so we're, gonna, we're talking now about scientific communication, communication by scientists to a general audience, to mm. people who are not in our own discipline. Yeah. And the issue with that is we get, I mean, we get excited about minutia. Yeah. We get excited about the methodologies that we use. We get excited about how we did things. Mm. And the public doesn't necessarily want to know. I mean, some of us do. You know, we are curious about, well, how on earth did you find that out? But most of us want to know why. Why are you doing that? And and what's it going to mean for, for me or for other people? And so we just need to reframe the questions and the order of which we do things. And we live in a wonderful time for unpacking and having layers of information. <clears throat> through the no, excuse me <coughs> um, through the world wide web you know we can we can give a simple explanation of something and then if people want to search and get more information they can go there they can yeah. get more i mean there's a whole issue of curating and and reliability of mm. the information that we find because we all know we can find a lot of rubbish on on the internet but yes. um, but but we can layer things and so we can I don't think science is that hard I mean if you want to be an expert in something sure you need to put in the hours and you need to really understand it but to get a grasp of something is is not that hard mm -hmm. at, at, at a certain level and that's where we need to start as scientists not dive straight into the nitty-gritty and the detail of things I mean, the, the same could, argument could be used on the other side to discredit science. 
and uh, I, I bring climate change into this because this is the big one at the time, so we've got to talk about it. We could talk about other things in we the We could past. talk about vaccination. Yeah, we could talk we about could vaccination. Do, uh, yeah. um, you know, we could talk about just simple things like the sugar tax and how that's important, you know. Mm. Um, oh, 20, uh, getting rid of cigarettes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's exactly. a lot of things that we could talk about that are scientifically based. Yeah. But so, climate change is going to kill us all, so I think we should just quickly... <laughs> <laughs> that one. Because, you know, that's a, it's a motive, and it's a motive on both sides. The climate change, um, you know, it's easy for deniers to point to, um, you know, kind of false academic, uh, academics, um, you know, use their agenda to kind of twist statistics. Look, you know, we had, we've had peaks and troughs in climate for years. It's always happened. It's a natural occurrence. Um, you can't say that, you know, we're necessary. we might be speeding it up, but it's going to go back down again. Uh, we've had people in power say, well, why don't you just cover up volcanoes? You know, like, <laughs> they spew out more. Um, things, stupid things like, like that. But, I mean, and, and, of course, the majority of people who are saying this are business leaders. Some of them are politicians. Um, and we tend to listen to them and believe them. And they've got no experience. And they somehow, they happen to have a link to the fossil fuel industry yeah, and a oh, lot of them. Oh, funny that. what a coincidence. Oh, the poor EPA. <laughs> oh, the EPA. Um, that's the Environmental Protection Agency in America, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, so how do you win that battle against that? How does the science communication, uh, well, yeah, science communication and science community battle against people that have such giant platforms? Again, if I knew the answer to that question, I would be saving the world. Yeah, you would be. I would be out there saving the world. Okay, so I'll have a go, though, because um, it is the question of our time. How do we save the planet? Um, and I think part of our challenge with that is the, the science is clear. I mean, really, you know, it's like, why are we even talking about the science? The, it, it's not... The science is not in question. It's the political will. Mm. And and not just the political will. We can't blame only the politicians. It's our our will as a society to change the way that we live. Yeah. We live an incredibly affluent and wasteful life, myself included. You know, you look at all the waste that we that we create by not living our lives more simply and, and less wastefully. And that is a huge contributor. Mm. Um, we're, we're the, we as consumers need to stop blaming everyone else and you know just take this full by the horn. But climate change, I mean, in terms of science communication, it is known as the failure of, of our lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of the reason for that is that as scientists, you know, we, we go for the truth. We, we aim to, we seek wisdom, we, we look for knowledge, and, and we are theoretic, you know, we're all objective. Of course, we're humans, so yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, not exactly true. Yeah, but um, but, but we, we rely on, on, peop on people to be honest. That's part of the, a basic assumption of a scientific endeavor is that people are going to change their opinion when they get a new fact or new evidence. And that doesn't work. Yeah. And so we are operating on, with false assumptions as science communicators 
Um, and that's our basic problem is that we need to realize that, no, there are people out there with agendas and there are people out there who are, evidence doesn't make a bit of difference. It's, you know, they, they have a fixed agenda. They're yeah. going to go there if they have to lie, cheat and steal. Eh. You yeah. know, whereas we come in and we think, oh, but we'll just give them more evidence and then they'll see the light. <laughs> And somehow that doesn't work. All right. I'm sorry, but we've run out of time. Um, yeah. <laughs> your, your lecture is uh, on Friday uh, from 1 to 2 at the DAF Lecture Theatre at the uh, Hercules Building, I believe. And you've also got something coming up at the museum. Yes. We're about to launch the on the 31st of May. Many of your listeners should come along because for about the rest of the year, the um, exhibition celebrating the 150 years of the university is going to be open at the museum in the 1877-1887 gallery. Yeah. All right, fantastic. Uh, Professor Nancy Longnicker, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.